HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm Linda Palaccio, your host here on Heritage Radio Network, and today we have got a spicy show for you. And our show today is being sponsored by Hearst Ranch. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the Central California coast. For more information, go to www.hearstranch.com. When I said we have a spicy show, you think, oh, wow, they're going to talk about some spicy food. <laughs> We're talking about spicy drinks. My guest today is Kara Newman, and Kara is a food and wine spirits writer based in New York City. And her work has appeared all over the place, especially lately, Kara. You are making the rounds. She has written um, columns and articles for the New York Times, the Boston Globe, the Washington Post, Sever, wine enthusiast. In fact, she is the spirits reviewer and cocktail columnist for the wine enthusiast. And Kira has recently published a book, her first book, called Spice and Ice, all about spicy cocktails. Welcome, Kara. Thank you. So much fun to be here. Yeah. It is a hot day, and I can't think of anything better than talking about cocktails. Cocktails have really boomed back on the market ever since uh, Prohibition was repealed. Thank goodness for (laughs) that. Um, Which gave a little boom to cocktails, actually. But for some reason, all of a sudden, spirits and and mixed drinks and cocktails are really back in fashion. Is there anything in particular that you would attribute this to? Well, I think it's been a long time coming. It's probably been on the, the rise the last 10 years or so. But I think it's really just kind of fed into itself. We've started with some really great cocktails and some really great bartenders. And it's really just had some great momentum. It's really built from there. Yeah, and I mean, uh, bartenders. I mean, the bartenders, the scene is really seems to, you're right, seems to really feed into that a lot that they've become almost like you know celebrity chefs we now have celebrity bartenders <laughs> for better or for worse yeah, yeah we've got them i feel like we're in a second golden age of of cocktails right now which is fabulous we've got some great new spirits coming out these days we've got some great cocktails coming all the time there's always something new always something different yeah uh what and, but cocktails i mean they they're not new they've been around oh, yeah. for a long time oh a very long time i think as long as we've had 
grains to ferment and grapes to ferment. We've always had beer and ale and wine and, and spirits, especially here in the, the U.S. Mm-hmm. And um, I know certainly, I think of the 1800s, the late 1800s in particular, as being the, the first golden age of, of cocktails. Uh, we had so many wonderful bars, including here in New York. Um, we had great, uh, almost cocktail palaces in lower Manhattan, midtown Manhattan, in the hotels. And then, unfortunately, we had, of course, temperance and then prohibition. Yeah. A very long 13 years there. and But that really added to the whole cocktail um, mystique and, and, and development. I mean, I think because so much bad gin was coming out of the bathtubs, right, that they would cut it. I mean, a cocktail is really basically a spirit cut with something sweet and maybe some bitters. Is that... Um, exactly. It? I think the exact definition is um, spirits cut with anything, and that's officially a, a cocktail. Yeah. So you've got to figure some of that bathtub gin must have been pretty raw, so they had to cut it with something, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, there were certainly so many speakeasies and so much romance associated with that. But I don't think there were a lot of good cocktails associated with that. And, in fact, when I think about that period, one of the things that really makes me sad is that there were so many great cocktails being created elsewhere. I think you had a lot of um, culinary and, uh, and cocktail travelers, um, tourists, go, tourists, is that the word yeah. I was looking for, tourists going to, to Cuba and Mexico and Europe, of course, and some of our best cocktails that we consider to be cl- classics today, uh, I mean, the, the margarita, mm-hmm. um, the, the daiquiri to an extent. Um, those were created during during that period. You know, I was. I mean, there's so much mythology um, associated with cocktails too, and wrong information, I guess you would say, rather than mythology, about where certain cocktails came from and who started them. And it's all fun. It's lore, and it's all folklore. A lot of it. Hard to trace the roots because not too much was written down about it. Right? I know. And then I think you have the whole alcohol element in there further fuzzing the edges. Yes, exactly. People telling <laughs> yarns at the bar, after the bar. Right. It's very hard to get good cocktail history. And what some of the names are associated with them and wondering where that came from. There are some, there are some good stories, I, I do admit. You know, like the um, Martinez supposedly was the first cocktail and then the forerunner of the martini right but and yet the martini they think i thought the martini of course would have originated in uh, in england because they're such they love their gin, the gin. gin yes up. yes all the great gins came from came from england but actually but the but the mixed drink the martini originated in america i think is that correct do you think um i believe so i mean i don't i don't know either i'm just looking at you know little things you can find and, and things printed up. Oh, and, of yeah. course, the first one to codify anything is Jerry Thomas. I mean, Jerry oh, Thomas. great Jerry his, Thomas. Um, you know, with his, with his um, Bon Vivant, the guide to, the companion to mixing, what is it? The uh, guide to mixing, to mixing cocktails. Yeah, I, another one I need to look up. I need yeah. to have a whole library with me next time I talk about cocktails. <laughs> right. But, I mean, you are a member, the, the newly formed... Um, Museum of the Cocktail? The American Cocktail Museum at uh, New Orleans, right. yeah. And you are a member of that. I will say, I did have Dave Wondrich on the show very early on, but it was around holiday time and we were talking... Must have been about Punch, about I bet. About Punch, of course. You remember <laughs> well our programs. Kara is also a fellow member of the Culinary Historians of New York, so we have shared some interest in some of the programs that have um, been presented there, and Dave Wondrich did that. So He's we, one of the best encyclopedic resources around when it comes to anything cocktail. I wish I had amazing? that kind of command of yeah. everything cocktail in my memory bank. 
but and he and he was saying that you know, punch of course punch is a cocktail and that so that was a front runner you know in, in England in early America I mean that was that was a cocktail indeed uh, but the martini I, that really surprised me that it originated in America I mean who was to know and possibly named after a rifle I, that the Martini Henry rifle that was used in the British Army. I don't know. Right? Oh my. I think that might be more folklore. <laughs> it seems like every time I try to find the origin of a drink name, I come up with more people. Exactly, people names, dead ends. Try the Caesar salad. There is. Oh, yeah. There's a tremendous amount of. And people are. They're very. They get very upset if you try to um, doubt their stories. There's a woman who claims to be still a relative in California someplace. Anyway, that was a, that's a whole other that's a whole other show. Um, well, you, in fact, you're being a member of this Museum of the American Cocktail, there's also a tasting every year uh, in a, a, like a cocktail show. Are you talking about Tales of the Cocktail? Tales of the Cocktail, yes, in New Orleans. And you just got back from that. Tell us a little bit about that. I did. I did. It was um, hot and muggy as New Orleans tends to be in July, but uh, definitely... Um, uh, a good time, lots of lots of drinks going around. You can't get back from one of these conferences and you kind of can't readjust to the fact that no one is handing you a cocktail every time you, you sit down somewhere. What time is it? Must be 10 o'clock, right? <laughs> exactly, but lots of seminars, lots of great speakers, lots of great parties, uh, lots of new products being rolled out at the events. People refer to it as spring break for bartenders because there's just <laughs> so much going on all the time, after hours, round the clock. A lot of good shared information, I would imagine. Right? Absolutely. And it's nice also that it brings some additional um, money into New Orleans. I think the, the official stat is that it brought in uh, $10 million in revenue just this conference alone wow. over the course of a week to New Orleans, which after um, Katrina and the, the spill in the Gulf, they very much need it. Yes, absolutely. And we had a good time providing it. Well, you know what? I was thinking about that, and... and and I was reading you had done a, a little write-up for the wine enthusiasts of some of the drinks that were presented there. Some oh, the, I yes, I don't know yes. if they were the newer drinks or what they were. And um, I printed up that list because I was I was so intrigued by a lot of the new names of the um, of the drinks that are coming up. Oh, aren't the, the names the fun? The names are great. Yeah. What was there anything in your mind that stood out in terms of something new and different that we haven't really seen, or have you seen at all? Oh, I don't know about that. There's always something different every time you turn around. Uh, some of the things that really stood out in my mind, um, I was amazed at how many whiskeys there were. Last year, we were talking about gin. Last year, you couldn't turn around without finding another new whiskey. This year, there were lots of... Uh, another new gin, I'm sorry. This year, there were lots of whiskeys, whiskeys. lots of rums. The, the tiki trend is coming on real strong, ah. real fast. Huh. Um, and that was actually uh, one of the, the drinks that I, I liked... Most of all, there was a drink called Death in the South Pacific, and it was <laughs> just a riff on the standard planter's punch. There had been a, yeah. a competition to, uh, to find the, the best variation on the planter's punch, and this was it, and it was what's, quite what good. Is, what's in Death in the South Pacific? Oh, well, well planter's punch, of course, is it's rum, rum, but this one had three different kinds of, of rum. Um, there was, uh, of course, uh, light rum, dark rum, and then rum agricole which is um, a, a, a darker rum from the, the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. And they, they mix it all together with orgat syrup, which is kind of an almond-like syrup, um, absinthe, lemon, lime, grenadine. I mean, it, it's just, there are just so many ingredients. There must have been literally a dozen different ingredients in that. But that's what's great about a punch. It makes all these things together, an enormous 
beautiful decorative bowl, and I say, now you've got a party. <laughs> well, tell me, you know, my my concern with that, if I, I said, my God, how can you go to one of these parties where you really want to review the whiskeys or review the, the mixed drinks? What are the challenges of tasting? I, you know, if I taste two drinks, I'd be flat on my back. <laughs> I know with, you know, wine tasting, they have a spittoon. You, know, you taste a little bit of the wine, and you spit it out. What about cocktail tasting? What's the process there? Well, I look at it this way. It has to be a really, really spectacular drink, especially in that situation for me to drink the entire, the entire cup. Usually I'll have two sips of something, and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll put it down. Um, and if it's just a spirit, it'll be even a smaller taste of it. You know, just yeah, I was going to say, really two sips of a, of a strong drink, that can really it, set it you back, too. It all adds up. I mean, you yeah. make sure, especially in, in a hot climate like New Orleans, you want to make sure you get lots of water, always hydrate, make sure you actually eat, make sure you actually sleep. Some mm-hmm. people don't. There mm-hmm. are always people who come back rather uh, worse for the wear. <laughs> oh, well, partying is half the, half the fun, yeah, or most of the yeah. fun. But if you're tasting, let's say you're tasting, you said there were a lot of whiskeys, um, and rums making appearance. If you're tasting the straight spirits, which I'm sure you do, so you can evaluate them. Oh, yeah. um, how I mean, it's like perfumes. They say don't try more than three because then your olfactory nerves are sort of shot by them. How many can you taste really, and and discern the differences and the um, subtleties? Oh, um, well, when, I know when I'm sitting down to specifically taste a, a spirit, I'll usually go with. Four is usually what I think is optimum. Hmm. Sometimes I'll go with five if I have to. Um, I know there are people who will taste up to eight at a sitting. That's a bit much for me, but I prefer four because then I can really take my time and, and see what it what it really what the aroma is like. I compare one to another. I'll try tasting it straight. I'll try tasting it over ice. Uh-huh. Um, I want to think about what the what the flavors are and what the applications might be in a cocktail. Yeah, you know. That, yeah, I can see that. That any more than that, and you sort of lose lose some of those subtleties and when you said over ice um, and so many um, uh, cognacs and or not cognacs necessarily but whiskeys are are really made to be diluted or taste better with a little dilution absolutely so many of them are just beyond overproof yeah and And then that makes it a cocktail in its own right Exactly. Huh. That's true. Yeah. Um, though a lot of the time, um, you can go to, to some bars and bartenders will, will recommend that you try, or distillers too, they'll recommend that you try a whiskey straight to see what you think of it. Uh, then try with a bit of ice and try with a bit of water. Cause a lot of the time the water will just open it up and bring out completely different flavors. Yeah, especially and, if it's a very peaty kind of you know, tasting. And I've tried it with bourbon, with rye, with, of course, with scotch. Interesting. Uh, blended whiskeys. Well, let's. We're going. What we're going to do? Because I've got a lot of information to, and questions to ask you here for a second half. We're going to take a little break because what we want to spend time on are the recipes in your book, Spice and Ice, and talk about chilies and booze. Oh, so as soon it. as we come back, we'll talk about spicy drinks.
We are back, and we are feeling in a tequila mood. We're here with Kara Newman, the author of Spice and Ice. At, not only because she's the author of Spice and Ice and Chilies, but it is as hot as it would be down in tequila. <laughs> We've got, if you might hear fans in the background, our air conditioning went out, and we have a hot, sticky New York summer day here. So Good drinking weather. You bet, especially at tequila. What I mean, a, a margarita. Margaritas. I mean, margaritas come in so many forms. What? Where'd that all start? What happened there? Do you know anything about the background of margaritas? Well, supposedly it's named after a woman named Margarita out of Mexico. It's another one where there are lots of, of tall tales, and it's hard to say exactly who invented the margarita. I can tell you that certainly has its history in Mexico, and it has very basic building blocks. It's always tequila, lime. Uh, usually some sort of sweetening component. And, I mean, other than that, you can take it wherever you want. You can add lots of juices to it. Mm -hmm. You can, uh, of course, freeze it. I'm not a big fan of frozen margaritas, but people love them. Rim the glass, not rim the glass. That's right. Salt, sugar, spices. And every time I go into a a bar or restaurant, I mean, it seems that there's some new type of tequila being offered, you know, with with all different kinds of fruits and vegetables and, and things. But in your book, you have some wonderful recipes. And your book is all about combining the drinks with spice, with chili. With chilies, with wasabi, with um, some of the gentler spices mm-hmm. too, cinnamon, ginger, anything spicy. Now, is this relatively spicy. new, or have people been mixing hot, spicy things with, um, with their liquors for a long time? Oh, well, it's definitely not new. I think we have lots of new ways of enjoying them now, but... Um, Especially south of the border, there's been a long history of, uh, of chili peppers there. They've, the, the Chili Pepper Institute in New Mexico actually um, traced where, um, where chili peppers originated. Uh, they found an area in South America in Brazil uh, where they say the first chili pepper came from. And, I mean, dating, they found the first ones dating back to, say, the 1500s when Cortez um, found chili peppers there when he invented the Aztec Empire of Mexico. And um, then, of course, Columbus came and uh, in, in the 1400s, and as part of the, the Colombian exchange, he brought chili peppers to the rest of, of the world. Yay. <laughs> That's right. Yay. And um, a lot of the, the chili peppers that we have here, um, of course, moved, they dispersed elsewhere throughout the world, and they've Mutated and deliberately been grown to different variations. So all those Thai chili peppers that mm-hmm. I love, the Thai bird's eye, and uh, the peppers grown in, in India and elsewhere, they all started here, and they just migrated elsewhere. And now they're just so varied and used in different cuisines elsewhere and different drinks elsewhere. Well, I just I love reading through some of your recipes, and even the rimming of the glass that you, you combine the chili pepper with some of the salt or sugar and the rims of the glass. Um, d- Tell us a little bit, you, and you've brought something with you as well that's a little spicy. A sangrita. Sangrita, I love. Do you feel lucky? Sangrita. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Now, ta- sangrita is traditionally, what, uh, tell us, tell our, our listeners who may not be familiar with sangrita what it is. Okay, well, it is a drink also origi- originating in Mexico. Uh, sangrita means bloody little thing, which is both endearing and disgusting at the same time. I'm... Um, giving you a glass of sangrita and I'm giving you a glass of silver 
tequila. So now traditionally you take a little sip of tequila and you follow it with a chaser of sangrita. Is that right? A little sip of one, a little sip, sip of another, the other. And keep going all night? <laughs> Essentially. Some people say you'd use it as a chaser, but purists Wait, really say Let, let me look at my other. watch. Let me see. Are we after 12? No- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's afternoon. We can go ahead. <laughs> all right. I'm going to try it. Here goes the silver tequila. Okay. Now, so is this a reposado? Is this a what kind? What it is, this? is a blanco. This one's actually a single estate tequila from Tequila Ocho. Ooh, ooh, that is nice and very smooth. I like that. I'm a I'm a tequila sipper. I like I don't particularly mix my tequilas. I just like to sip some of the different ones. So this one is really interesting. Right, I was now. hoping to bring a reposado and an aged tequila, but I didn't have one on hand. <laughs> this one this is, is really nice. This is very nice, though. So this is very smooth. All right, now I'm going to take the sip of the sangrita. Oh, yeah. It's like a... <laughs> It's like a Bloody Mary without having to drink everything diluted. It's really, mm, that's got a nice spice to it. That's got a nice hit to it. it yeah, well, there's hot sauce in there. I went a little light on the, the jalapenos, but it's primarily tomato-based. But there's also a lot of citrus in there, orange juice, grapefruit juice, uh, a lot of lime juice. Hmm. Uh, a little salt, a little pepper. Oh, I didn't realize the grapefruit. It was, so there's orange juice and grapefruit juice. Oh, terrific. It is, that's really great. I mean, that's that's a really great drink to just drink without the tequila if you're trying to lay off the sauce for a while. <laughs> lay on the chili sauce and off the... Off I like the that the base is non-alcoholic. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, that makes a great virgin Bloody Mary, indeed. Yeah. Um, but some... You have... It, aside from this, and this is this is classic Mexican. I mean, it really is... Dates you know. back to the 1920s. Yeah? Wow. Um, and you've... Some other drinks you have in there are just... Use some of the most surprising ingredients... Um, cucumbers and uh, what, what? It's funny to me. I don't think of that as surprising anymore. Well, I you must wrote, be jaded. I was say you wrote the book and you've been doing demos for people. I mean, when what what um, is there anything that is that you would say does not mix well with some of the now? And these your drinks in this book are not just um, tequila drinks. These are all rum drinks, all different kinds oh, yeah. of drinks. Yeah, all different spirits. Yeah. Um, what spirit do you feel mixes the best with a, a fruity, sweety kind of muddling and spice? Uh, probably, I'd go straight to rum as soon as really? it's sweet. Yeah. But I'm I'm loving all the new spiced rums out on the the market right now. Huh. They have all these like little hits of, of cinnamon and clove and a, like a hint of sweetness and burnt orange peel and, and that really does oh, it for me. Nice, interesting. And yeah. they're great in all these fabulous tiki drinks that we're seeing all over the place. Now, when you say tiki drink, there's something, I think, South American. So you're, what what designates a tiki drink? It's actually an umbrella. Not, oh, an umbrella, <laughs> the whole South Seas motif. It's actually has nothing to do with, with south of the border. It actually originated in California. Hmm. Uh, we have um, Don the, the Beachcomber, and we have Trader Vic, and those were the, the two right. gentlemen who created the whole tiki mystique and experience. Um, and that was in the 1950s. Everyone came back from, from the war. The, the GIs had seen what was going on in the South Pacific, and they brought back a lot of the, the flavors. And, and uh, coconut and, and rum was part of all of those tiki drinks. And uh, they all just took off big time. The whole tiki culture had this whole wonderful, somewhat tacky element to it that really just took off in a big way. And then it became a little too tacky and, and kind of um, out of fashion, and now it's it's coming back. Hmm, interesting. I mean, coconut and rum, what two... Com- I mean, what, a, what a brilliant combination. I mean, they just, yeah, they just go together. I mean, that a singer could 
base his entire career on, on <laughs> margaritas. I mean, the pina colada should have gotten yeah, the, the pina colada should have gotten a little credit there. I think I actually found out recently there used to be uh, an outpost of Trader Vic's in the basement of the Plaza Hotel. Oh yeah, you knew about that. Yes. Okay, <laughs> and. Uh, when Trump came in, Donald Trump came in and he purchased the, the plaza, he got rid of it in the late 80s because he thought it was too tacky. Too tacky, right. Well, it even had the, it had the, um, the big carved, uh, what am I saying, like totem poles, big sculptures the, um, of the, the, those native, yeah, the, the native and figureheads and out front and a little, uh, I think a little straw rattan hutch ho- uh, roof, you know, for the entrance. Oh yeah, it was, <laughs> it was quite the scene, indeed. But these, um, what if there's a, um, I'm not saying a drink that, that perhaps you think would surprise people, a spicy chili drink that would surprise people. Is there anything that I don't mean to bomb you with a, you know, a question that, you know, that preparation. Is there anything that you think would be surprising to the, the general imbiber, with chilies? Well, a couple of different things jump to, to mind. The the first thing is kind of an obvious thought. I think most people would be surprised that uh, chili spiked drinks aren't necessarily blow your head off spicy. Oh, that's good. That they that's can be really know. balanced and, and lovely and just get a, a little like a little zing. And that makes it fun but not painful to drink. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing that comes to mind that I think people might find surprising is how many bartenders are taking that very much to the other extreme. It's become like an extreme sport to come up with the hottest chili drink in the world. Try to try to blow away the patron, right? Well, that's not good. He's not going to come back and drink more. <laughs> <laughs> no. I think it's, it's really a stunt, a gimmick, yeah. but a fun one nevertheless. Sure, sure. I know someone who came up with a drink with seven different kinds of chili peppers in the drink, um, including a little uh, rum float in the top, which you know he would flame with a ah, one of those long-handled lighters. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You could take exactly one sip and you were done for the day. Uh, well, I think something that a lot of people, if they try to mix drinks at home, what they're not you know, they maybe hear about this craze and maybe they haven't bought your book yet and they don't <laughs> they don't know um, about the a real key to, to really getting the, the full flavor out of whatever you're mixing is the muddling process, right? Um, describe like describe mixing a, one of the standard drinks for for listeners who might not really be that educated in, in cocktail oh, preparation. Sure. I think there are a lot of different ways to get flavor from chili peppers into drinks. One is, of course, infusing. You take a a slice or two of a jalapeno, uh, plunk it into your tequila or vodka or whatever, let it sit for maybe an hour, and then take the tequila, uh, take the, the pepper out so it doesn't continue to yeah, infuse right. and then you've got something spicy to work with um, you could also muddle peppers that's just a lot of fun yeah but uh, I'm seeing more of the f- add the spicy liqueur and add it to a muddled fruit base or something which you know is also nice you know? absolutely and then the technique of, of muddling I'm not sure if that's where you want it to yeah I think my people I think a lot of people are confused about that often it's actually really easy and it's it's really fun it's good for getting your aggressions out <laughs> uh, all it involves is putting a slice or two of chili pepper or fruit or whatever it is you want to to muddle in the bottom of a glass or cocktail shaker and then you take a, a muddler which is um, a short almost baseball bat-looking kind of blunt instrument, or you could use the back of a spoon, too. Mm-hmm. And essentially, you just 
crush it. I'm, I'm gesturing. No one can see me. <laughs> <laughs> She's banging her fist against her thigh. <laughs> but it's like a mortar and pestle kind of um, movement. You're trying to just crush it, not necessarily pulverize it into smithereens, but you're trying to extract the, the flavor and the essential oils and the aroma, too, out of the ingredient. And then you pour in your, the rest of your liquid ingredients and... Uh, the ice as well and then you shake it and strain it out and usually straining it out and and that's and that is so key people see this drink they say oh it's such a petite little glass it's such a little amount yes but it's so full of flavor and full of alcohol i mean because strain you want to strain out all those big chunks and certainly strain out any slivers of, of hot peppers right absolutely and especially when you think about Making drinks with a more historical twist, too. They used to be much smaller sizes than what we're used to today. They would typically be about three ounces of liquid. And today we have drinks that are, I think the standard size is maybe more like uh, five to six ounces. You go to TGI Fridays, you get an enormous, you know, eight to 12 ounce jumbo margarita glass. Right. (laughs) And it's like even the dinner plate, I mean, dinner plates, glassware, if you look... If you go to any exhibits of, of old historic um, cookware, you'll see everything was in smaller proportions. Little wonder we have a problem with obesity in this country. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're slowly going back to the, the smaller pores. We saw some of them at Tails, and I think it's especially fashionable in Japanese bartending, too, to have very petite, very precisely made uh, drinks. Oh, interesting. Now, what about ooh, sake, sake and chili peppers? That would be some interesting. Ooh. Yeah, that's something new we could think of. And come up. Well, you actually wrote about, and I think on your site posted, a drink that I think could possibly be my drink of the summer. Oh, the summer. The Little tell. Market by Ted Carducci. Oh, yeah, who was also the bartender who was making that drink with seven different chili peppers, by the way. Oh, was he? Oh, it, it just sounds wonderful. It's got pineapple and tequila and hot chili syrups and habanero sauce and some lime juice and cilantro. I mean, what could be bad about that? I mean, I, I'd like to eat each one of them separately, but I mean, <laughs> combined in a drink, it sounds wonderful, like a wonderful summer drink. You mix it all together, you've got the alchemy going. It's greater yeah. than the sum of its parts. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll but bet. that was something he made at uh, the Manhattan Cocktail Classic. Oh, now, yeah, that was, uh, that was another drink uh, education event, right? Right, that one was here at, at Astor Center. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was doing a seminar, of course I couldn't miss, called Spice the Fennel Frontier. Spice the fennel frontier. Too, right? Yeah. So, what do you dust the fennel uh, around the rim of the glass, or do you? Is it actually mixed in the drink? I don't think fennel was actually in that Spice drink. I, I remember mix? cilantro. Oh, okay. I don't know. Did I, did I misremember? But maybe you, uh, maybe I was misunderstanding what you said. Spice, spice the fennel. Okay, but. Um, yeah, I think it was just the, the name of the, the seminar, like the final frontier, the fennel frontier. All right, so what I want to do is my next, I'm going to try one of these spicy drinks from the book. I think probably will be a, um, like a cu- cucumber one because that sounds so refreshing and cooling and it is so hot here. <laughs> but you, and then I want to know how, what to, how to rim the glass in the spicy peppers. Okay, absolutely. I think... When you're rimming a glass, you want to work with uh, a powder rather than a whole chili pepper. Um, Usually, I would like to mix something like um, chipotle powder or ancho chilies powdered with salt or with a touch of sugar. Mm -hmm. I think alone, it becomes a little overwhelming. Uh, but rimming a glass is actually a really simple technique. This one's easier to show than to tell. Well, I'm sure it is. <laughs> uh, but 
all you're doing is, I, I usually use a, a two-plate technique. The first plate will have a bit of liquid in it, um, maybe a touch of the, the liqueur that's or, or the spirit that's already in the drink, or alternatively, you could just uh, take a, a, a wedge of, of lime or lemon and just um, run it around the rim of the glass to moisten it a bit. And then the second plate would have the, the spice elements. So I would have the the ancho chili powder and the salt already mixed together. And you take the, the glass, you turn it over, empty, empty glass, and you turn it over. <laughs> Details count. And um, you just dip it first in the, in the plate in the that liquid. has the liquid, mm-hmm. and then you lift it straight up, move it over, and again, you just set it down in the, in the plate that has the, the spice and the So the important salt. factor is, is mixing your salt and chili powders, whatever, you have, whatever combination you have together, first before dipping it. Correct. Don't give anyone a straight chili dipped glass. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's some masochists out there, yeah, but sure it's a little intense for my taste. Yeah. Well, we have to thank the explorers for bringing chilies to uh, to our world. Thank uh, you, for because this. yeah, indeed, because it has made life a lot more exciting. And I think I'm going to finish some of this sangrita. And I thank Kara so much. And you can try these drinks too. Kara has a website, um, spiceandice.com. Uh, it's karanuman.wordpress.com. Karanuman.wordpress. That's the Spice and Ice blog. Even nicer is just buy Spice and Ice, the book, and then you've got it on your cocktail shelf for reference at all times. Kara, thank you so much. It's My been pleasure. really an education in drink history for me. And I would like to thank our producer, Jack Inslee, and our, our engineer, Dan, for helping us out with today's program. And again, our sponsor, The Hearst Ranch. This has been A Taste of the Past. I'm Linda Palaccio.